0: Continuing the book of James chapter 5, we are at verse 9. And remember we said in verse, in chapter 5, St. James is kind of summarizing what is the cause of all the problems people have. And he talked about pride, he talked about humility, and now he's going to continue to give us more of how we should live as Christian, and how we should practice our faith as we Uh, As we are instructed by the scripture. For verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Obviously, when people are facing difficulties and whenever there's problems, the first thing that people tend to do is complain and grumbling. And find a reason why are they failing. And it's common very common that people usually give themselves excuses by blaming, for example, people around them, the circumstances, their lifestyle. And all this is a form of pride, of a form of not having the right mindset. As a matter of fact, nobody can live in the life without a challenge. If you don't have a challenge, your life will actually be quite meaningless. And you will have nothing to strive for. So it all depends on how I face failure. It's one of the ways that St. James is telling us, do not grumble. He's going to tell us what to do next. Okay? Why is he saying do not grumble? He says, lest, lest you be condemned. If you start blaming people for your failures and circumstances for your failures, you're blaming other people who will condemn you. It will show your own problems, not the people problem, not circumstances problem. Because there are many people who could be in the same circumstances and do very well. And then the last last part of this verse says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. So why shouldn't I grumble? Because the judge is standing at the door. God sees everything. God knows everything. And all of us, when we remember that God sees everything, watches everything, it will make me not complain. Because God sees what I'm doing, what people have done to me. It will give me the right mindset to know that everything is under his control. He says, my brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. You guys, remember in the book of James, he's really focusing on the difficulties that our people, are suffer, our, our people are suffering in his time. And he's telling them, a good example to watch are the prophets. Why? Because the prophets did not suffer because they have done anything wrong. They have suffered because of their own faith in God. You guys, for example, you saw Jeremiah, a young prophet who spoke the truth. He was hated by everyone hated by his own family everybody wanted to k- kill him but he continued to send the message of God so holy people suffered so it's important for us to when I'm whenever I'm suffering or going through difficulties I remember the examples before me to be encouraged I'm not the first but there are many people before me that have gone through this that's why Our Lord said, blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kind of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and exceedingly be glad for great is your word in heaven for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's exactly what St. James is saying. He says, the prophet before you will persecute before you. At your career, at your work, when you decide to live like a Christian child of God, most likely you will have to offer sacrifices. So I remember the prophets who were before me. Indeed, count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now he's giving us a very specific example of Job, okay? There's actually a very common parable in in Arabic they say, Ya sabra It's like whenever somebody's like, you know, like seeking patience, you'd be like, look at the patience of Job. You know, whenever you're in a tough situation, you say, look at what the patience of job. Be careful because Job did complain. It's not like he did not complain. When he went through difficult times, he started struggling. But Job never lost his faith. Even when his wife pushed him to leave God, he said, no way, I'm not going to leave God. He continued to struggle with God. He continued to seek him. What happened to Job? He lost his children. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. He lost his prestige, his reputation, everything. Everything he can possibly lose, he lost. Everything but he still continued to believe in God. So Job 19, for example, he says, surely even now my witness is in heaven, after he lost everything, and my evidence is on high. My friends scorn me, my eyes pour out tears to God, or that one might plead for a man with a God as a man pleads for his neighbor. The struggle that Job was going through. Job 19, for I know that my redeemer lives, even though he's going through all these problems. He says, my redeemer lives, and he shall stand at the, last on the, uh, at the last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearn within me. In the midst of difficulties, Job still struggled with God. He yearned for him. He said, heaven is my witness. I will continue to struggle. I will continue to fight. The faithfulness is what made Job, Job. Later on, obviously, God restored everything that he has given to him. So any of us, if you've ever go through difficulties, you probably won't lose as much as Job lost. That's why in Philippians and Paul says, For to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to to suffer for his sake. By the way, we're not talking about suffering because you lied or suffering because you speed up and you got a ticket. That's not the suffering we're talking about. Suffering for the sake of God, not suffering of your own mistakes. Being treated unjustly, being treated wrongly, that's all important okay now St. James is going to talk about situations where whenever there's difficulties and trials people to tend, tend to do a lot of mistakes so he's going to try to break them down one by one the first one whenever there's a lot of difficulties people tend to give oath tend to swear too much why they swear because they want people to believe them I'm really in need I really I am in need I really am in need believe believe me believe me believe me and people tend to swear. So what is he telling them here? He says, "But above all my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and let your no be no, and let your no no, lest you fall into judgment." Look, in the Old Testament oath was allowed. And God was presented as the guaranteeing of the fulfillment of his promises. Think about it this way. In the Old Testament, there was really no concept of contracts. You cannot go into contract and assign contract. So what did people used to do? Each person used to worship a God. So they would make a promise or a swear or oath and the God becomes their witness. You see this in Leviticus 19, 12, 12. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. So when people under oath, that's why in court people will be under oath, it's not only that you're in front of, of the person trying to be, trying to be honest, but also it is a promise in front of God. Now what happened is, as you can imagine, if oath is a way for forcing people to say the truth, people started to struggle. Because if what if I'm lying and I want people to believe me? So people start making oath by things that are less holy than God. Okay, just be careful about this. So people started saying, instead of I'm making an oath by God himself, let's make an oath by something, get it smaller. So then what? So then. If I lie, it's not a big deal. And you see this when our Lord Jesus Christ was talking to the Pharisees, he told them, woe to you blind guides who say whoever swears by the temple, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he's uh, obliged to perform it. So the Pharisees started coming up with the system. What is the system? You know, if you swear by the temple, it's no big deal. So you can swear and not fulfill your promise and it's not a big deal. But if by the gold, no, that's a big problem. You see now how things developed over time? Our Lord says, fools and blind, for which is greater? The gold of the temple that sanctifies the gold. And whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, it is a pledge to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater? The gift on the altar that sanctifies the gift. Therefore, who swears by the altar, swears by it and by all things on it. So our Lord Jesus Christ told them the same thing. You can't just say, well, if you swear by the gift, it's a problem. If you swear by the altar, it's not a problem. And so on. Now, what happened is our Lord gave commandment to his disciples in Matthew 5.34. He told them, do not swear at all. You see, it says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely but shall perform your oath to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your rest be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than those is from the evil one. So our Lord says, no more swearing. The oath in the Old Testament was given as a way for people to say that this oath is in front of God, a replacement of contracts, and it will be fulfilled in front of God. And later on, God says, no more swearing. Now, it's actually your speech has to be concise. Why is this important? Because it does emphasize the importance of everything I say. Not only a small part that's, that's under oath and the rest I could do whatever I wanted. Everything I say is important. It also makes people, it takes away from people the pressure of lying. You know, like sometimes when people say, are you, are you honest? Are you being true? I swear to me. Swear to me. And then what if it adds some sort of, of pressure for people to dishonor God along with their lying? So it becomes a problem. It becomes a problem. It makes people also, sometimes they swear, sometimes it makes people have a tendency to exaggerate, to try to please people. What the Lord is saying is, no, keep your speech concise. Yes, yes, no, no. And that's actually quite important. St. John Chrysostom says, an oath adds nothing to a simple yes or no. So if people don't want to believe me, I don't need to go another step and a third step. It's my nature, it's my character to be honest and to have integrity, and that's what I will do in all situations. Okay? St. Paul used a different formula, Bardo, because I want to make sure you guys were clear on this topic. St. Paul uses a different formula. Um, Some scholars say it's, it's some sort of an oath formula, but really it's not an oath formula. Like, for example, he says, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer. Whenever he says, for God is my witness, this is not an oath formula, this is more of him telling people that this is happening and God in front of God. Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul. He says this in 2 Corinthians one twenty-three. For God is my witness, in Philippians 1.8, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a clock for covetness, God is witness. So every time with his speech, he will say, God is my witness. And that's an okay language to use for us as Christian, but we cannot swear, we cannot use oath. And why is St. James dealing with this? Because under pressure, under difficulties, people have a tendency to want people to believe them and say anything to believe them, so they can get help, they can get support, First, telling them no swearing at all. In the Old Testament, oath was allowed in the replacement of contracts, and the replacement of, of uh, some sort of legal documents, but now this is available, and our only, uh, our only way is to be true. That's why sometimes you'll find Christians, when they go to court, they might struggle to, uh, to, to swear on the Bible because you feel like no the bible says do not swear at all okay some people say uh, it's okay to follow the system but obviously this is something we have to consider as we're going to court we have to consider the idea of uh, uh, swearing or being under oath is anyone among you suffering let him pray is anyone cheerful let him sing psalms so then You've told us a lot what not to do then what do you want me to do when i'm suffering he says pray very simple why is prayer so beautiful it's because it's accessible to everybody it's accessible to you at all times all day actually i was i was reading to a beautiful saint and she said the most precious moment of the, of the day was when I, when I speak to god in the center of my being he loves for me to talk to him all day. I don't like to leave him alone. So whenever we have difficulties, we pray. If you're suffering, pray. And by the way, we have a tendency to remember our own struggles more than the luxury and the easy easy stuff that we have. For example, if you remember your parents or grandparents maybe, They'll say, you know, in the old days, before electricity, we used to pray using a, a, a lamb, you know, in the darkness, and we worked hard, and we did this and we did that. And to them, this was a struggle, and they remember it. For us, we turn on a switch, electricity is here. We don't need to remember that because it's really not an eventful part of our day. What we truly, as humans, remember, we remember our struggles. And he says, when we are suffering, we have to pray. He says, when you're cheerful, let him sing psalms. A lot of times when people are cheerful or happy, what they end up doing, they end up indulging in worldly things. Like somebody just finished their finals, what they end up doing over sleeping, over eating, pinch watching, hanging out with their friends. The first thing people do after they finish finals, let's go to the beach. So many things people do right after they finish finals, the moment when they're very happy that a lot of stress is poured, poured away, they should be singing. should be singing joyfully happy to God. A lot of times we take the success that God has given us and turn it into a driving force away from God. And that obviously becomes a direct disobedience to the commandments of God. Direct disobedience to the commandments of God. So whenever I am struggling, I need to pray. Whenever I'm happy, I need to sing. So when people meet, for example, in the in a Easter Sunday or meeting as a family, there's a lot of fun songs, a lot of really cool songs now that come and people can sing them and use them and there's a lot of songs that people can Uh, can do with the whole family, for the little kids, for older people, everything. So we can invest some effort and time into being, including God in our cheerful time. What other forms that makes people also worried and upset is sickness. It says, anyone among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. Obviously, the word... The sickness itself, it's one of those things where it challenges people's faith sometimes. When somebody gets sick, it challenges their belief in God. And the word sick in in Greek, it actually means to be weak. So you actually become weak, not only physically, but overall in terms of your spiritual life. So here actually, St. James outlined for us what we call in the church, the sacrament of the unction of the sick. What's going to happen in the ancient of the sick? We're going to have a priest. And what the priest is going to do? He's going to pray. He's going to anoint with oil. And he's going to call in the name of the Lord. Let's take them step by step. The word elder, presbyterus, it actually means the elder one. And it's specific to the priest. It's actually specific to the office of the priest. You see this in the book of Acts. It says from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church, the priest of the church. Now, one other idea about uh, priesthood, because it's really important, a lot of times when we refer to the church, when we talk to the church, to refer to a church, we could mean three things. We could mean the actual building that we live in is a church. We could mean the gathering of the believers is a church, and it could also mean the elders of the church to be the church. Because the elders represents the totality of the Christian community. Okay? Is that clear? So when we say that, some people say the church is only the the people. Well, that's one definition of the church. The church also is a building. And the church also can be represented by the elders. So it's not one definition. It could, could be reflected in different things. Now, he's saying when somebody's sick, We will call the office of the priesthood to come. This is really quite an interesting thing because he's not talking about an individual special gifts. He's not talking about somebody who's gifted to heal the sick. Like, for example, in 1 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, he says, to another, faith by the same spirit, to another, gifts of healing by the same spirit, to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, discerning of the spirit. He's not telling them, find somebody in the community who has a gift of healing people and bring him to your house to heal. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about bringing the office of the priesthood to your house. Okay? we'll go As we go through this, it will become more clear. Okay? What is the circumstances happening? That the person is extremely ill. When we say the person is extremely sick, it means they already exhausted all medical choices. Now he came to a point where medicine is not an option okay he can't go to church so now we want to bring the elders of the church to him why because some people in those days believed that sickness could be a way of God punishing people like in the story of the man born blind when the disciples told Jesus told him who sent him or his parents so when the elders who present the totality of the church go to his house It shows just at the very first point that this person is not excluded from the church. He's part of the church. And the church, he cannot go to the church, so the church will go to him. Okay? And he says the elders actually will pray over him. He uses the word in Greek, epi, means over him. It's actually a physical position. When uh, the priest goes and and actually blesses blesses the, the person who's sick, he actually goes over him with his hands and he would cross him in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the name of the Blessed be God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Son, Bless the Holy Spirit, glory and honor and glory. Okay? And what does he use? He uses oil. I'll tell you guys something, a verse in the Gospel of Mark, you guys don't, might not pay attention to it. When our Lord sent his disciples, look at what it says, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. In Mark 6.13. So actually the disciples, when Jesus sent them out, they used to use oil to cast out demons and heal people. So oil was a form they've used to treat people. Okay? Obviously oil and the scripture is used for many reasons. One of it is for uh uh, medical reasons you see this in Isaiah 1 6 it says for the sole of the foot even to the head there is no soundness in it but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. they have been closed uh, or bound up or soothed with ointment so when somebody has a bruise or or or, uh, or cuts they would use oil to heal it okay also oil is used for consecration that you say this person belongs to God And part of actually using oil for the sick person is to say that this person is actually set apart for God. Even when he's sick, even when he's weak, it says that this person is set apart for God. How does the oil, uh, the blessing of the oil happens? In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. Remember in Mark, the disciples went to our Lord Jesus Christ and told him, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name. And we forbade him because he does not follow us. And what did Jesus say? He says, do not forbade him. How is this person casting out demons? He's casting out demons in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the unction of the sick is an integral sacrament in the church. Integral sacrament of the The priest at the end of the sacrament of the unction of the sick He will bless the person Blessed be God the Father Blessed be the Holy Spirit And for us, the church focuses a lot on using the unction of the sick during Lent Because part of the unction of the sick is to actually heal our sins And heal our diseases, spiritual diseases Physical diseases Used to cast out demons Homes that have problems and issues, the unction of the sick is useful. There's a good connection in the scripture between repentance and healing. And also, it is also an obligation for all of us as a, as a Christian to visit those who are sick. In the wisdom of Surah, it says, do not hesitate to visit the sick because for such deeds you'll be loved. You'll be what? Loved. When you visit the sick, You'll be loved. Loved by heaven and loved by those who are sick. In uh, Matthew 25 43, it says, I was stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not close me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. So, actually, visiting the sick is a quite important obligation for the members of the church and the elders of the church. Also, since we're talking about this, just want to also clarify something. The unction of the sick. Is a sacrament that is consistent of seven different prayers it takes about an hour to hour and a half and it's done in the morning when people are fasting and if in, in the old days uh the priest obviously would would pray on the oil and he would bless everybody but in the old days because there were some people who were sick and they're far far away so the priest would give them a little bit of oil so they can bless the relative but now since we have churches everywhere the clergy usually keep the oil. But one of the things is even if you have unction of the sick in your house, we typically anoint the sick person in the morning before people eat anything. It's usually you should participate in it when you are fasting. There's no food and water because it's part of the sacraments. Now he says, the prayer of the faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Look at this beautiful passage here. This is what, the prayer of faith, not the prayer of wrong motives, okay? That's why in James 4.3, if you guys remember, he says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasure. So the prayer of faith. The faith of who? The faith of the priest and the faith of the person. We saw this in the story of the paralyzed man, when Jesus said, and Jesus saw the faith of his friends. Also, Jesus saw the faith of the centurion, but also God held, healed, for example, the woman who was bleeding for 12 years because of her own faith, okay? One of the things I just want to keep in mind here, the power of prayer cannot be measured. So God could use the unction of the sick. So here, one of the things he gives us for sin, certainly he says, if he has committed any sin, he will be forgiven. So forgiveness of sins could save souls. souls Causes healing, causes it causes revival. A lot of times, when people do unction of the sick, some if you know, many of the fathers have seen that fights at home can go away. Peace happens in the house. It does a lot of healing in the house. Okay, Taban. Obviously, the early church uh, apostles, God gave them. The, the grace of healing people. And now in the church we have some people, obviously God could give them the grace of healing according to his will. But remember here that he is saying that the office of the clergy would have to go and anoint the person with oil. I'll tell you something kind of interesting, keep it in mind. In the old days, when somebody was sick, he would actually not, usually stand up and clean and wash themselves they would actually be without oil it's a common thing in the ancient time and even now when somebody's sick and bedridden they probably don't care about getting up and showering and taking care of themselves and putting on makeup and putting on their clothes and all that stuff they won't care we're sick i'm sleeping okay so when the priest comes and puts in oil which something they put on when they are actually ready to go out and it's a sign of health. It's a sign of that this person has become healthy. It's reminding people that in this sacrament, remember every sacrament there is a physical element that God allows us to enjoy. He's saying that this person, this person has been healed from his sin and he's re- reinstored in the body of the church. Same thing when we take communion, we take the, the body and the blood. The body represents life, the bread, and the wine represent joy. And where can we have life and joy? It's an eternal life. So it is important to keep in mind that healing in the unction of the sick is absolutely possible. But the significant part of healing happens in a spiritual sense. In forgiving the remnant of sins. And allowing this person actually to become part of the body of Christ. And making him take, t- take a physical sign of oil. As if he's restored in his health. He's restored back to the body of Christ. Obviously any, any miracles that is done. It's done on the name of Christ. Okay. But it's always but it's always its main motive is to point people to the kingdom of heaven now for example when our lord jesus christ heard that john the baptist was killed was martyred jesus did not go to raise him from the dead the scripture says that our lord jesus christ went in and continued to preach so it's not meant obviously for every sick person to be healed but it's meant absolutely spiritual healthiness and spiritual healing. Okay? So the sacraments has a purpose of removing remnant of sin and strengthening the soul that is facing death. Verse 16. Again, remember we we're talking about when people under pressure. What do they do? They grumble. Sometimes sort of pressure is sickness. Now sort of pressure could be sins. He says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, we'll talk a little bit about the first part, this confess to one another, okay? Obviously, St. James is talking about people confessing their sins, not just to any person okay he's talking about confessing their sins in the church and you will see this actually in the dedication in chapter 14. i'm going to read it for you so it's very clear it says on the lord's day on the day of the lord come together break bread and hold the eucharist after confessing your transgression that your offering may be pure but let none who has a quarrel with his fellow join in your meeting until they be reconciled that your sacrifice Be not defiled, for this is which was spoken by the Lord in every place and time. Offer me pure sacrifice for my great King, says the Lord, and my name is wonderful among the heathen. So, from the dedicate, from the church practice, people used to come and confess their sins in front of the whole church. So that's why, specifically here, he did not say confess it to the clergy, to the elders, but confess it where to the whole church. And as I was telling you earlier, the church could have three meaning, the clergy, the building, and the people. So later on, as people felt a bit more uncomfortable to confess their sins in front of people, then they come to confess it in front of the clergy, who presents the totality of the church, who goes to the sick person to restore him to be part of the church. And also this goes with the verse in John 20, 23, when our Lord appeared to the disciples and told them, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you attain the sins of any, they are retained. Why is confessing our sins is important? Because anything that I hide usually means it's valuable to me. Or it's something that I want to hold on to. The things that I don't care about, I let it go in the open. So when I confess, I take away my attachment to these sins until it you're not valuable in my life. It also takes away from me the shame. Because sometimes sins keep keep me shameful, keep me isolated from God and from the body of the church. If it takes away this isolation, it takes away the shame. Obviously also one of the things that happens in confession is that when I come to confess, I reveal my thoughts. And actually, in, there's a famous saying in the, in the, in the church. It says, hey, reveal the devil before he reveals you. So what does that mean? It means if I keep the sin hiding, 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 at some point it will be clear and it'll be seen, and the devil is not gonna keep me, just move on without embarrassing me, okay? Also, some sins might not be as clear. So with a conversation with the priest, sometimes it becomes clearer that some of my thought process needs some refining. In the, Old, in the New Testament, by the way, people used to confess in different situations. When they are entering the faith, and you'll see this in Matthew 3, 8, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. When obviously people are offering repentance, and many who, who had delivered come confessing and telling their deeds. When also the, there is a public sc- uh, uh, scandal. And we see this in 2 Corinthians. There was somebody who caused a big problem in the church. And there was a requirement for him to actually confess in front of people. So almost like a sense of heresy those people who introduce a heresy to the church, part of it, they have to confess and admit the right faith so it becomes clear that they are standing with the church. Okay? That's really important. So this is even what St. Paul said to, First, uh, to Saint Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.20. Those who are sinning, rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. He's not talking here about just a regular sin, but he's talking about a sin that causes a scandal in the church, a heresy or something breaks out. Now, there's also an important part here. It says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You see, we as a church have an obligation to pray for each other. And if we don't pray, a blessing of healing will be lost. If we don't pray, a blessing of healing will be lost. I'm actually the commandments for us to pray for each other is all over the scripture. And it is an important point of us to revisit our own personal prayer. St. Augustine said, The Lord himself sets an example for us in this also. For For if he who neither has or nor had or will have any sin prays for our sins, how much more ought we to pray for each other's sin?" So our Lord, who did not sin at all, he prayed for our own sins. It's a big responsibility for us to pray for each other that we may be healed. And he says, the fervent fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. This is an important verse to show the importance of the intercessory prayers of the saints. When we ask for somebody to pray for us, ask for St. Mary to pray for me, St. George, Archangel Michael, this is part of the scripture, the intercessor of the saints. The prayer of a righteous man avails much. Okay, Not every person have the same relationship, the same bond with God as, as the rest of us. So there is this, there's that part here that is quite important. Uh, how does the prayer of a, ferv- a fervent righteous man avails much? Why? For a very simple reason. Because the righteous man, his prayer is not simply just a prayer that he offers, but a life of obeying the commandments of God. So what makes the prayer of a righteous man so powerful is because he obeys the commandment of God. And that supplication and prayer becomes powerful because he is living the life that God Intended for his children to live, and obviously the prayer for righteous men becomes even more powerful when the person that he's praying for is also trying to fulfill the commandments. We are trying to be converted to the work. Even though, if you see this, even when our Lord Jesus Christ was healing people, we we'll always ask them, "Do you have faith? Do you believe? Do you have faith? Do you believe?" Because the faith of the person that he's praying for is important. He says, "Elijah." Was a, man with a, uh, was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain and the earth produce its fruits. So he's giving us an example of, of somebody who was righteous and his prayers made a big significant impact. Obviously he's speaking about Elijah because Elijah was a big name known in the Old Testament he is known to be somebody who will who will recons- who will come to prepare the way for the messiah and it's saint john the baptist who came in the spirit of elijah and then in the second coming we say elijah is going to come to prepare the way of the second coming so he's a very well known he appeared in the in the transfiguration so elijah prayed and it did not it did not rain and how did he pray Look what he says in, the, in 1 Kings 17, one, says, in Elijah, despite the inhabitants of Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall now no be dew, no rain these years, except at my word. How did he pray? He said, it's not gonna rain unless I say so. Power, power. How many people in the scripture have that much power? Say, it's not going to rain unless I say so. And then when God wanted rain to come, in 1st Kings 18, 1, it says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present, present yourself to Hap, and I will send rain on earth. God did not want it to send rain until what? Until he tells Elijah, Elijah, I'm planning to send rain. God's highlights these righteous people to remind us of how to live a holy life, to remind us of how sort of intimacy he wants to have with each one of us. We're all the children of God, but some allow themselves to experience the love of God more than others. And that's what happened with, with uh, Elijah. Now, here's the last verse. It says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and covers a multitude of sin. Obviously, he's talking about what happens under pressure. And what happened under pressure, when there's, in the old days, when there's persecution, when there's difficulties, people sometimes tend to wander from the truth. Some might live an atheist life, some might live a sinful life, some might become far away from God, distance from God, all all different things. Under pressure, many things could happen. Okay? Now, here's the thing. Even though God is the one who brings people back, God allows us to be partaker of this great ministry. It is the ministry of resurrecting people from the dead. The ministry of resurrecting people from the dead. When you bring somebody to God, you're raising somebody from the dead. You guys, I'll tell you something I was thinking about the other day. The disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ have performed many miracles. Raised people from the dead, healed people, did a lot of wonderful things. Now look at the gospel of the Canaanite woman. The woman came from Cana and went to God and told him, My daughter is sick, please heal her. Jesus did not answer her. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Get away from me. Please. He says, I can't take the food of the children and give it to dogs. You're unclean. Why are you coming to me? Yes, but, uh, but the dogs even takes the crumbs that falls from the table. I'm not any dog. I'm a house dog who eats the crumbs that falls what? from the table. What did Jesus say? He says, woman, great is your faith. No one in the scripture took that title. Great is your faith in the New Testament. Like this Canaanite woman. There's a ministry out there, ministry of presence, ministry of healing those who are grieving, healing those who are suffering, helping those who are in need. And God says, I want you to partake of it. I want you to partake of it. Why? Because he covered a multitude of sin. You know, I'll tell you guys something. When I read this verse, it says, look, you know, if you save somebody... Uh, the string away from and waiting for a big reward you know I'm waiting for like you know you'll be like a, a big saint in heaven I'm waiting for something you know but he says what turns s- s- center from air of his way will save us all from death and cover multitude of sins i was like what, what is it what, what is it for me you know what, what, what do i get right but actually if you think about it, it says he will save us soul from death and cover the multitude of sin what does that mean It means you'll be doing the work of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Who saved people from death? Jesus, our Lord. Who covered our sins? Our Lord. He's saying you'll be Christ-like. You'll be like me. That's why he did not give a reward. Because once you are in that mindset once you are in the mind of the Lord, you're not seeking a personal reward anymore. You're seeking to love and to unite with God and to praise Him and to live in His kingdom. And this is truly a wonderful letter that St. James gave to the church to teach us how to face tribulation how to face partiality in the church how to face discrimination how to face uh, uh, difficult people how to deal with the poor how to deal with the rich what to do when you're sick what to do when you're suffering what to do when you are happy what to do when you're sinful he gives us a lot of a lot of practical things that we can live by may God give us to live the life according to his word and glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.